This is a Bulldog Radio podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Valuable Sports Podcast, episode 16 here with my main co-host, Mr. Joe Nagy. What is up, brother? We're out of school, finally. It's good to be free, but now we got to get jobs so you can pay that little rent for living next year, but now... Just super happy to be out of school. I mean, I'm super excited. But Brandon, you've had a pretty eventful week since we last were here on your YouTube channel. Oh, you were featured. Yes. You're featured as number one on uh, uh, Sports Center top ten. Yeah, um, close to Sports Center top ten. I wish that was the case, but yeah, me and my buddy um, Hunter, as you guys probably um, heard on one of our previous episodes, have our own little. YouTube channel we started up on this past year called Worth More Studios, and we were doing some cornhole trick shots for an upcoming video, and Hunter made a a backflip cornhole shot off a trampoline, and we decided to send it into the American Cornhole League, which was kind of like, which was the professional cornhole circuit that we see now, and we decided to send them in. They had a little trick shot um, feature every Tuesday. We decided to send it in, see what we got, and we ended up getting number one in the week. And then they just recapped the top 10 during the whole quarantine, and we got number one. So we got no, the number one trick shot in ESPN, which is pretty it's a, sweet. It's a subtle flex. It's a subtle yeah, flex. it's a subtle flex. I don't like – I'm not a really, like, boastful person. I don't really, like, hype myself up for something. But I, it was still pretty cool. And um, it, it was kind of just that moment where you're like, holy cow. I mean, not intentionally, but we were just on ESPN. That's yeah, cool. So I mean, it's really cool. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, that's like pretty awesome. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Shout out to Hunter and Fisher and Worthmore making that making that whole thing happen. But um, Joe, let's get right into it. We are starting off with um, a continual trend with our last couple of episodes. We're talking about the Last Dance documentary, the the big ten part series regarding Michael Jordan and the Bulls dynasty back in the early eight or uh, mid eighties to late nineties. And it's it's been pretty good, Joe. I've been really enjoying just seeing all of the the behind the scenes and the stories that we don't really get to see very often, especially with like MJ and um, a yeah. lot of people didn't really know that much about like how much his father's death meant to him. And I think episode seven really just hit that home. Yeah, definitely. And I never I never knew that he was actually murdered. That's the crazy part because I thought um, you know uh, we weren't alive obviously back then, but. I mean, I just thought, like, he died of, like, maybe, like, Metro Cutler, like, something different. But I didn't know it was, like, that big of a scale. And, like, just to see um, kind of what tied into that and, like, Michael Jordan's emotions surrounding that. And even going on to episode eight, just his emotion when he won that uh, finals and stuff and all that. And he's just crying. And, you know, it just – your heart breaks for him. But also this is – it was kind of a pivotal moment for him because it made him realize uh, what he wanted to do with his career. Yeah. For sure, and I like the just the the impact that um, MJ's father had on him was just it's just one of those relationships where he described it best. He said he was almost my best friend, where he was always and Michael won his first and second championships, and then his third of eventually in '93. Um, that his father was right next to him with when he was celebrating. His father was always there for him. He was always there helping him with his just his his development of his game really doing all of these different things to help get better and excel 
and I and one of the the kind of the one of the key parts in um, episode seven was um, MJ announcing his retirement and going into the phase where he decided to start playing baseball with the the double or I believe it was double A team with the Chicago White Sox and I think his his dad's influenced him as a kid where he was actually more into baseball as a kid than basketball and that kind of shows really when he passed away and he decided to make the transition to baseball that his life really was reflecting his dad and how much he really cared about him yeah I mean people can like I mean it says here in this article I mean there's times where like uh they kind of twisted the story a little bit saying that Jordan's gambling problem led to the murder and stuff. And that's kind of tough. I think there was a lot of things where he just kind of want, not only did he want to honor his father and go play baseball and uh, kind of show uh, his homage to his dad and do that for him, but also just kind of try to get away from the really bright lights of the basketball world and um, try to start a, start a new, new path rather than being with the bulls and trying to carry on this dynasty. And I think that was just, I mean, although it wasn't a very long career, it wasn't super successful, I think it was probably a really good move for him to try to, to kind of move away from the basketball world just a little bit. And, I mean, when he got back, he, he kind of – I mean, he started out a little bit slow, but, I mean, he got right back into it with a kind of uh, – a little bit of a hiccup, but he got right back. Yeah, eventually in Episode 8, Mike MJ comes back. After, it's pretty much after the time where there was the, the MLB um, – bargaining agreement the contract was up in 95 there's a lot of disputing going on there was the replacement player situation that happened and he wasn't really about that and I think by that time he kind of started to to re to just kind of revision where he wanted to be at that time now a couple of years after his father's passing and he yeah. decides that he wants he might I'm, I'm gonna maybe try basketball again and then he ends up doing it and he ends up joining the team in I believe it was the '96 or no, it was the '95 playoffs. Yeah, '95 playoffs where they ended up losing to the Magic, which it really just showed that although Michael Jordan wasn't was just this absolutely amazing player and can do all these things, that sometimes that you can't just be you're he's human. That's what we yeah. pretty much saw. It, he, you, you can't just jump back needs, on the floor and be the same person. He needs people around. No, not people, but he needs those assets around him. I mean, he didn't have Rodman during that 95 finals. Didn't have that strong defensive presence um, that he, that uh, Rodman brought, especially on the rebounding side. And, you know, Horace Grant, he really took, he took control of that part of the game. I think that's one of the main reasons with him and that young, powerful Shaq. I mean, that duo did really well, but I mean, when you go to the next year, I mean, they came back. I believe Dennis Rodman was back on the team, uh, right? Yep. This is yeah. Uh, he, 96 is the first. He had he had his yeah. he had his uh guys with him, and they really kind of tore up. I mean, he had all the guys back, and uh, he just played really well. It's just really cool to see that um, and come back from kind of like that little stint. Yeah, and um, when they brought up his um trainer on in an interview about train tra- um. I shouldn't say transferring sports, going from basketball to baseball, and then eventually back to basketball. It took a toll on his body when he first came back to basketball, and you could kind of see that there was some times where he was he had these moments where you were just like, "Wow, he looks like he's just really kind of exhausted." It seems like, and that just kind of shows how the different sports just kind of just use different parts of your body, and it's yeah. really it really shows a testament to these professional players how fit they really need to be to you know, to perform at these high levels especially you got sport all the different sports football and then basketball 
and credit to soccer players as well. They have to be in really, really good shape yeah. to continually run on, run on the field. But it, it just really showed that MJ really showed that it wasn't necessarily that he was going to come back, do this miracle Cinderella story. They're going to go and win all the way. And they ended up losing to the magic. And to be honest, like, that was probably one of the best things that would have happened to the Bulls at that time, seeing what was going to happen in the next season where they were just playing out of their minds with only one one thing in mind, and that was getting to the title. I mean, MJ even said he spent 11 months building a baseball body, and when he came back, he realized, like, I got a lot of work to do. I got to scrap all this work that I did for baseball, and I got to uh, reshape my body to be a basketball player. I mean, it's tough, and I mean, even when you look at it, he had a lot of stuff going on. He was filming Space Jam at the time. Like, uh, that was – I mean, that was probably my favorite part of the episode when they showed how Warner Bros. literally built him a basketball court so he could work out uh, right after shooting. And he he had a basically a state-of-the-art gym courtside. And it, just, it was kind of interesting to see all this stuff that they went into. And it's probably not even – it was probably just pocket change that they spent with the amount of money they made on the film. But it was just really cool to see that. Michael brought all these different players, all these young guys like Reggie Miller. He had Juwan Howard, all these different guys come and play him in a 5v5 for about four hours even after shooting. And, I mean, I think he even said it too. He was trying to learn how these guys played. He tried to get back into the into shape after a long day of filming, tried to get with these young guys that had all this energy. I mean, it's really impressive to see what he did there. Yeah, and I remember um, specifically they asked Reggie Miller about – the, the games in the, the Jordan Dome, as they dubbed it, in that state-of-the-art facility they built at the Space Jam site. But the funny thing was that Reggie Miller referenced him as a vampire. Like, I don't know how this dude literally filmed from 7 in the morning, does a workout for two hours in between his breaks that he had in, in the middle of the day between their filming from 7 to 7, all like for six days of the week. And then he ends up, Go, once once it's all over, he's worked out, he's filmed all of these scenes, mentally taken a toll. He p- goes and plays two to three hours of basketball, and not only just regular pickup basketball, with some of the best guys that are in the NBA. Yeah, full guys speed, like too. Barkley, it's ridiculous. Guys like, yeah, guys like Barkley, Jawan Howard, um, Patrick Ewing, I believe, was there, too. Like, all these guys are legit players, and he's they're playing some of the best five-on-five matchups you can put on paper and he's doing it for two to three hours at a time. That really just shows the testament that Jordan really, really has that that mentality that he wants to be the best, he wants to play at the best, and he will do whatever it takes to get there. Yeah, and I think another interesting part of the episode was the situation surrounding him and Steve Kerr. Um, I, if you caught that part of the episode, yeah. Brandon, with um, you know Michael was getting kind of frustrated. It was I think it was his first season back. Uh, the guys weren't really – I. I think he said the guys weren't really into it. They kind of expected to win. They were kind of riding high off the last three-peat. They were kind of settling into being um, as been team, I think he said. Or I, don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. But yeah. um, And then, like, St- him and Steve Kerr would have uh, – they had a 5v5, like, in practice or whatever. And um, they were kind of going at it. And Phil Jackson saw that Michael was getting mad. He was calling petty fouls. And Steve Kerr was standing up to him. And, I mean, they were kind of – exchanging pushes and stuff. And then Michael Jordan just lets Steve Kerr have one right in the eye and punches him. And, yeah. you know, it, one of the, one of the coolest things about that was how, how Michael handled it after. I mean, he, he went to the front off, 
the front office of the Bulls, asked for Steve Kerr's phone number, apologized. I mean, he really was the bigger man with that. And then he said it kind of really helped him realize that uh, although like some of these guys didn't seem like it, they were all in, they were ready to go. And I mean, I think he even said Steve Kerr gained a lot of respect for him. That kind of, I mean, it kind of reminds me of a, if you remember uh, Matt Barnes and Kobe, when Matt Barnes tried to fake the ball into Kobe's face, um, mm-hmm. and then Kobe uh, wanted him to play on the Lakers the next year, and when he said, whoever's crazy enough to mess with me is good enough to play with me, I mean, that's kind of I mean, like we said last time with the bond between MJ and Kobe, but, I mean, it's cool just to see uh, not that, that, that this team wasn't gelling super well. It wasn't like what it was before. It, was, it had its problems, but the way they were able to work it out was really cool to see. Yeah, and like Jordan, like reminiscing that um, that um, that instance with Steve Kerr on the floor, and just those two talking about it was really interesting to see both sides on what happened because that wasn't really like an absolute huge. Um, it wasn't like a huge popular um, story at the time. Like people weren't talking about like this incident because it was really kind of the players remember it, the coaches remember it, but the public really didn't remember it because it really wasn't like hyped up that much but like them two both talking on their own sides where Steve Kerr was just kind of doing his thing and Michael kind of had his perception of him kind of walking out of the bulls and expecting to win these championships because they had Michael and they had this where then when that this whole incident happened and then both of them exchanged punches and Jordan ended up laying one right in right in the eye and that ended up leading him getting kicked out of practice by Phil and then he ends up talking about later he just was had this absolute epiphany that I just beat up the smallest guy on the floor like why why am I like being this way and it just kind of showed that after the apology and after the two talking it out that they they're really starting to get these these bonds together and it's crazy how these like these seeming awful things on paper like losing the finals the year before to the magic and this this incident happens with Steve Kerr like these things were negatives at the time, but the Bulls turned them into absolute positives, winning, end up winning the championship the next year mm-hmm. and getting the best record in the NBA. And then even later, you can re- talk about the chemistry that Steve had with Michael Jordan, and you can cue the shot now in our mind that Kerr hitting that game winner later in the later year's playoffs. But it was just a crazy thing. And I mean, the Bulls going from with Michael coming back in that 95 playoff season, and then you show up to 96, and right out of the gate, those guys were just absolutely on fire in the 96 regular yeah. season. They end up winning a record 72 games. They go 72 and 10, which is the second highest now after watching Golden State a couple of years ago beat that. But it's just crazy to see how they Michael really got these guys pushed into a, a place where they were playing at the highest level. Yeah, most and definitely. They, they were really because I mean they didn't just like win all of these games in the playoffs. They swept all like two of their matches yeah. in the the playoffs. They were they had the chance to they the had a chance to sweep the Sonics too with Gary Payton. That is true. And uh, I forget the I forget the other guy that was the big name on it. But I mean that team was no joke. I mean they were the best in the Western Conference. They had. Uh, the defensive player of the year and Gary Payton, the glove. I mean, it's funny to see how Gary Payton thought he was wearing down Michael, but then Michael kind of shoots back and says he had no problem with him. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny yeah. part of the episode, but I mean, it's just crazy to see how good this team was. And I mean, when you look back at the Warriors with their 79 season, I mean, they ended up losing. That was the one where uh, the 
the Cavs came back from a 3-1 deficit. I mean, it just shows you how much of a different breed that this Bulls team was and just kind of like the difference between today's game and back then's game, but also kind of the similarities that we see too. Yeah, and like that, you're exactly right. That that Supersonics team in 96 was no joke. They had George Carl was their coach, who was a great coach at a time. At the time, then you have the glove, obviously, with Gary Payton. And then you got Sean Kemp, I believe, is yeah, the person yeah. you were trying to think of. But that just a physical presence down low. And when they had – and I think one of the bigger things, kind of going back to the Magic, is that Magic had some pretty pretty good players. They had Shaq at the time when he was a, a younger um, – in his first couple of years. They also had former Bull, Horace Grant, who was kind of their big piece for a while in the 91-93 the campaign. For the Bulls, and then you also got um, uh, Penny Hardaway at the time before his um, his injury yeah. that ended up costing his one of the greatest careers that he could have had. But like th- those guys were a really good team, and we saw that in '95 when MJ came back. But they they kept the course and ended up beating the Bulls. But then they grabbed Dennis Rodman in the the '95 or '96 off season before the season starts and pick him up from San Antonio, and just kind of the the presence that he brought on the floor and how MJ like referenced him as one of the most intelligent players I've ever played with his hustle, his determination, his defense that just really showed that they were really putting the pieces together when they got Rodman in there. And the fact that they swept that really good magic team just shows how this team was clicking. They were an absolute dominant force and there was nothing that would get in the way of them. Yeah, most definitely. And we're super excited for episode nine and 10 next week. I think it's going to be a great cap. I'm kind of interested to see where they're going to go with those two because I haven't seen um, kind of like the overview or the previews for it, but I'm really excited. But, Brandon, we do have a collab coming with Mike's and Takes. Why don't you talk to talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes. So uh, there was a little bit of a I, – I gave you guys a little, um, a little snippet taste. of what could be coming. That, yeah, just a taste that there was something in the mix. There's something in the air that could be happening, and I can confirm that. There is something going to happen. We are going to be doing a collab with Mike's and Takes, full in-depth detail on our thoughts on the Last Dance documentary. They're going to be, I believe, two episodes a week. We're going to go over one episode each of those two days, kind of the same style that the Last Dance did. And we're going to have we're going to dive into two episodes a week for the next five weeks. Give you guys the our in-depth analysis on the Last Dance, as well as possibly. We have been talking about a Mike's and Takes MBSP summer combo show, and it's going to be a really cool idea. We're still trying to put all the details together for you guys, but when we have it, we will give it to you. We are very if you excited. Know it, this, yeah, when you want to know all these details, go check out our Twitter at the MBSP to find all of these updates for the new collabs and the episodes as well to find them the quickest. But, Joe, I know you're, like, absolutely jumping in your chair right now because it is your favorite segment. It's not just my favorite segment. It's everybody's favorite segment. Okay, that is true. Everyone's favorite segment. It is time for Joe's fact of the day. Joe, hit us. All right. In the 2015 Masters, Jordan Spieth was able to become the second youngest player to ever win the tournament. He pocketed $1.8 million, but... Arnold Palmer was one of the or Arnold Palmer was one of the greatest golfers as well, but how much less did 
did Jordan Spieth win in that one tournament that Arnold Palmer made his whole career? Oh, geez. I don't – I mean, obviously, I feel like that it's not going to be as much as they would have won now just because, like, inflation yeah. and stuff with the economy. So I feel like it's not going to be in the hundreds, like hundreds of millions, obviously. But I'm, I'm going to guess – because I believe Arnold won, like, what, was it 60 majors or something? Yes. Or some, something some, like that. It was a ridiculous amount. It was. He's one of the well-known best winning golfers of all time, for sure. I, I'm going to say around uh, – you're, you're going in millions, right? It's not like it's a billion. <laughs> he, but from the, turn, from the say, tournament, Jordan Spieth pocketed $1.8 So it's how – so it's from that tournament, how much – it's compared to how much Arnold Palmer won in his entire career compared to Jordan Spieth winning that one tournament. So how much less was Jordan Spieth's winnings compared to Arnold Palmer's entire career, okay. like, money? So, yeah. So, I'm going to say that with that $1.8 million, million for Spieth in that tournament to Arnold Palmer's career pocket, I'm going to say Palmer made – like 60 million more but i could be i could be way off. you have the 60 part right but he oh. jordan spieth won sixty one thousand eight hundred sixty seven dollars less at the masters than arnold palmer won his entire career wow which is ridiculous oh, so it was thousand? yeah Oh, I should okay. I should have been oh. more. Yeah, I thought my oh, my bad, but oh, I get it now. That was my fault. You're that's good. just incredible. I, I mean, it, obviously we said inflation. I mean, it's kind of like the same compared to back then when Arnold Palmer was playing. When he'd win these, he'd win a lot of money. But it's just crazy to see how much golfers get paid now and how much the sport has grown to where they can afford to give that much money away in 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 winnings. But I mean, Jordan Spieth is ridiculous. I mean, if you've seen him play, he's arguably going to be one of the greatest golfers of our generation. I mean, he's already won so much for being so young, but I mean, Brandon, you're close. You're close to the number, but uh, you, you almost had it. Yeah. You were almost there. I had, I, I had the wrong digits in my head. I was starting to think about it as like, once you started talking about it, that I was not million, but yeah, that's a, that's a great stat. I, I mean, it just shows the, the difference in how much sports players get paid and athletes are really recognized in this time. So that's pretty cool. It's crazy. But now as we move in to our next segment, we're going to talk a little NFL here as the, the official 2020 schedule is released. And our thoughts on that, Joe, what are what are your initial thoughts on the 2020 schedule? Kind of what you saw when there's, you saw these come There's out. a couple of uh, matchups that I'm actually really excited for. I mean, the Bengals, I'm excited for their, I think it's week 16 or week, Week 15? Oh, wait, no. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure which week it is. On the website I'm looking at, it just shows the matchup. I forget the total week, but their matchup against the Dolphins, I'm excited to see Tua face off against Joe Burrow. That's what I'm really excited yeah, for. Good. I mean, I'm excited for the Ravens to play the Chiefs. Uh, there's just a lot of te- games that I'm really excited for. I mean, I'm also pretty I'm, – I'm, I'm excited to see the Colts play basically any team just to see – uh, Philip Rivers kind of fit in there as well. Um, and I'm kind of looking forward to see Justin Herbert play. I mean, as I said, in I think it was last episode last episode when I said he has a pretty easy, not easy conference, but a good conference to uh, show uh, everyone that he has what it takes. He's going to be able to learn a lot in that conference. I'm pretty excited for every conference game that he does have, uh, but I'm more excited to see when they play the Chiefs, uh, see how he's going to 
play against Patrick Mahomes in that defense and that good of a team with that caliber. But Brandon, what are you kind of more excited for? Yeah, that's uh, – I really was surprised. I understand the, the hype train is absolutely there, but the Buccaneers – as, as the in their whole season are going to play five prime time games this upcoming season, ridiculous. which I I understand where you got Tom Brady and you got like Gronk. And well, also, also their also their conference weapons. kind of too. I think probably plays a point with it with the good teams that they have in it. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, but this team really wasn't not a playoff type caliber team last year. Obviously they were in the hunt with Jameis Winston throwing touchdowns, but they also lost it of his interception. But the Buccaneers are, we don't even know how really this is going to work. And I know some people are like, well, they're going to go to the Super Bowl." And I'm like, hold your role just a minute here. They're not going to go 16 and 0 and sweep and get a perfect season. That's not going to happen. Their, their defense really isn't that caliber yet. Their offense is good. Their defense isn't to that caliber yet, but just the fact they have five, prime time game and that's more than the reigning champ chiefs they have the niners who are one win away from a super bowl and then baltimore as well those teams have less prime time games than the buccaneers do which i think is kind of crazy but that's actually a really good point also, i didn't even i didn't even realize that because i didn't even really look that far into it but i'm also pretty excited to see games in the nfc west as well these teams kind of are i mean the cardinals are now going to be a contender in that uh, in that division with, uh, yeah. with the new offensive pickups that they got. I mean, they got a very – I mean, they got DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray. It's going to be a really good, interesting uh, mix as well as Larry Fitzgerald when they have to play like Rams, Seahawks, 49ers. Um, that's going to be really cool to see. And I'm just kind of more excited to see all these young quarterbacks get chances and uh, see how they're going to fare against a lot of these uh, – like this mix of um, playing against younger quarterbacks themselves and playing against the seasoned veterans. Um but, I mean, there's a lot of guys that I'm really excited to see. But, I mean, it's just kind of going to depend on uh, what goes down. Yeah, and that's a great point. The NFC West is going gonna, gonna to be very interesting now that you got kind of the uprise of the Arizona Cardinals. And you could almost say start of a downfall for the L.A. Rams, um, which is kind of really interesting. But one thing that I really – found as well on the schedule as well as the primetime games which also detroit doesn't have a single primetime game besides that figures which that, i mean it figures <laughs> yeah i'm 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 upset but i i mean yeah i understand it's a business so really you can't really have that much of a um you can't really have that much it's, of, yeah it's not too much up like it's not hate. too much you up for debate really like you can't like you really can't make a yeah. case for us to have a we can't make a case for them having this type of uh um resume that they can get these primetime games but in 2020 the toughest schedule hmm. for a team do you know who it is i'm trying to, i'm trying to i'm trying to zoom of... through all the teams i'm trying to look huh is it the saints it is not it is wait for it the New England Patriots wow. have the that's toughest a, NFL that's, schedule. That's coming like up. putting salt in the wound. I swear. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is absolutely brutal. These guys have their their opponents' winning percentage last year. Of all their opponents combined, they have a over a five hundred winning percentage, which is crazy. It's the first time that they've actually had the toughest schedule in a Belichick era, which I thought was just absolutely just. I don't, I don't want to say it was funny, but it's just like 
they're just really pouring on yeah, these guys. They're kind right of now, they're but... really just it's kind of like a slap not really a slap in the face, but it's just like I said, putting salt in the wound. I mean you lose you lose yeah. Brady, you're not gonna have I mean the quarterbacks that they're gonna have to work with are guys that haven't really played at all their whole careers. Yeah, and all another name that's kinda up on that list is our Detroit Lions. They actually have the fifth hardest schedule from the twenty twenty nineteen. Why you gotta do that yeah, to us? Got, <laughs> I don't know. I guess the NFL just hates us, but I mean, I get it. I believe we have to play the Saints at some time. We also have the Buccaneers week 16, which I'm trying to get tickets, Joe. I, I, I don't know if you're trying to get tickets, but I'm definitely trying to I get mean, tickets. I mean, I'm down to watch if them. you want to go, Brandon. I mean, we'll have to we'll have to talk a <laughs> yeah, little bit about off air, but I mean, I'm down <laughs> to go. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of I think that game's going to sell out real quick as this might be the only chance we're going to be able to see Tom Brady in in Michigan one more time possibly before his retirement. So, but yep. yeah, I mean the Lions got to play teams like the upcoming Colts now. You were talking about with Philip Rivers, they got to play the the Vikings and the Bears and the Packers are always going to be good opponents in our division. I mean, we got Titans, we got Jaguars, other, Cardinals. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It should be. I'm really kind of excited for the the Cardinals rematch. I think last year we kind of got gypped a little bit. Yeah, but, but they didn't have DeAndre uh, Hopkins that's, that's last year, though. That's the that's the main thing. That is true. But Joe, you never. I'm trying know. to. I'm you trying to be. Know. I'm trying Maybe. to be positive with his schedule, Brandon. <laughs> but I don't know if I can. <laughs> uh, in in summary, if the Lions make it to the playoffs, they deserve it because their schedule is pretty tough compared to some of the other teams in the NFL, such as. The easiest NFL schedule going to probably the just everybody's gonna hate this, but the easiest NFL schedule in 2020 is for the Baltimore Ravens. They their opponents have a 43 percent, almost 44 percent winning percentage last year, and that's just brutal. I mean, you can <laughs> I mean, just see the teams, teams that, that like they're playing. They're not playing anybody hard. Like they're playing the Chiefs. No. Like they're only really playing the Chiefs. Yeah, they're playing. You have the you, you have can, the Titans, but play. I mean, they really only have like one. I mean, Titans. Their offense is Derrick Henry. That's really yeah. about it. I mean, I mean the Titans you, are, you they're that. a good team, but they're not a power. And they pat. I mean, the Ravens but, picked up. I mean, they picked up Patrick Queen anyway. So I mean, they're gonna have the running yeah. basically the running game unlock. So I mean, that's yeah, a little bit chipped. I mean, let's switch that around. Yeah. Let's give those that to Lions. Let's give us a little bit of a. Yeah, about pick me up. Need we need to pick me up. Here. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, we've had a lot of seasons where we've had bad schedules. I mean, it's not great. Last year was a little bit. It was a better schedule last year, but we just kind of we really just tanked the season at one point with our losing streak. But I mean, the Ravens they have the Bengals and the, the Browns and the Steelers in there in the division, which those aren't like they're good. They're I mean, the Bengals are obviously a rebuilding team. But the Browns and the Steelers last year were kind of in that. They're kind of hot potato for the top or the top spot behind Baltimore. And both teams were kind of at the point where they were playing each other to see who's going to make it because they're both about 500 type yeah. teams with all what everything was going on in their systems. Obviously, the Browns had some management issues and the Steelers had constant injuries. It's- but it, when you play those three teams six times a year, that by itself right now is good enough to give them a pretty easier schedule just because that division starting to get a little bit weaker and then probably the next obviously outside of the Chiefs their toughest opponents are probably going to be Dallas who's kind of streaky and then you got the Colts there with 
um, Rivers, and then the Titans, like you said before. And really, those teams aren't – they're not Saints. They're not Chiefs. I mean, or they're not those yeah. type of big-time teams. You could put the Niners and the Seahawks in there too. Those teams are much better than some of the guys that the Ravens have. Yeah, definitely. Game. I mean, you look at it, and some of these teams that should be playing a little bit tougher teams – they're playing – they got the easier schedule. I mean, we talked about the Ravens. But, I mean, you don't want to just overload the teams with a good schedule. You kind of want to mix it up. But, I mean, sometimes you see, like, the Lions, not a great team, but we get a tough schedule. But, I mean, Brandon, you talked a little bit about the downfall of the Rams. I think one of the main reasons that their downfall is coming is their u- new uniforms. I hate them. <laughs> I don't like oh, them at man. all. They're disgusting. <laughs> but, Brandon – Oh, my gosh. Brandon, what do you think of them? Oh, just uh, I I don't I have I can say well, like one positive thing. I think that their dynamic color scheme is actually a pretty like it's sweet a cool color scheme, but like they kind of yeah. changed it from well, like the navy blue and uh, like bronze color type thing. Yeah, so they kind of they're kind of trying to go with the throwback color scheme and making it more modern. I, I like the idea of I kind of like the idea of the gradient numbers. I kind of like that. I don't like that though. Atlanta going. It really? doesn't go oh, with like man. the font of their colors. Oh, yeah. It looks like uh, it literally looks like Arial. Like they just typed in twenty into Arial. <laughs> it looks like Arial. Like size fourteen I, I font. Can, I can That's literally that. what it looks like. That's just yeah. I think one of the the biggest things I do not like. I think they should get rid of this immediately. Is the the stinking tag on the left chest. That's disgusting. Of, like, right next to the shoulder I didn't even realize that, I but that's that terrible. Awful. Yeah, it looks I like, like the, it makes the jersey all. look off-centered. Yeah, I don't know what they're really going with that. And if the NFL, like, they're doing the NBA thing now where they got their sponsor on one side and the NBA. Uh, yeah, it's just I don't really think that is yeah. a good idea. I really liked when they had, a, like, a lot of the teams had similar just right above right above the numbers under the NFL logo. I thought yeah. that was a good idea. That made it look center. It made it look clean. But I also am not a huge fan of this. They call it the bone concept color with their away uniform it, it doesn't look I, good the yellow on the uh, white does not look good i'll tell you that much yeah i i just the, i don't really understand that concept I, I just don't like it brandon i just don't know why but i don't like how they made a new like logo for their thing and it's like they're trying to be more modern but it's like just leave it the way it is because that's what actually makes it look cool it's just like the old school Ram looking thing, but they have that weird mm-hmm. line and they put it on the shoulder pad on the, on the shoulders and on the white, on the white Jersey, they don't even have it. They have like a weird little, like backside, like stripe on the blue jersey, uh, yeah. They have the full Ram on the shoulders, but the white thing they don't. And I don't get it. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like not dissing or not, not like supporting the, the new logo. I think it was a, it was an idea. I don't know if they, it turned out as well. Whoever thought of them should be fired. I swear, dude, they're disgusting, (laughs) man. But I, I don't know if you noticed this, Joe, but looking at the uniform up closer, they have, it looks like two different number fonts on the away uniform. And they actually have the number. I didn't even realize that. I saw that. They, there's so much on, there's it's way too much font. on the shoulder pads. 
They have the number, I don't get they have the it. And number, the Nike even... logo, and then like a yellow thing on top. It's just, it's not, it doesn't look good. Yeah, There's way too much. The and then the, and then the I, tag I is like a honest... different color. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty Whoever, okay, not good. I'm just saying I... this. If you went to college for like graphic design or whatever, like you have to get to be able to design these. You should just find a new career path. I like if whoever made I'm I'm sorry, but whoever made these, I just don't like them at all. They're disgusting. Yeah, they. I think that a lot of teams are really starting to try to fill that modern, which that they modern don't need to. That's the thing. Like it. the Rams I, I jerseys were cool Some enough before. Yeah, and honestly, like a lot of people were hating on like the the cream and the I love the cream the one, navy dude. blue the cream that and they the navy blue. Those were that, really honestly, clean. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't actually mind those at all. And um, but this, I like, I like the idea that they're trying to go back to the throwback because that's what fans want. But I really think that they really it if they would have kind of made the uniforms like similar to like if the away one doesn't look anything really like the home one obviously the helmet's probably the only thing that's the same i mean the pants only have one stripe the home the home pants have two or i believe it yeah two with a two-tone stripe which is kind of weird and then i don't know if you noticed this show but if you look at the detail on the front of the away jersey they tried to put oh yeah the little like yeah broken ram font inside and it's a detail that people really aren't going to see on the field unless it's, you're it's like. It's going right to show up on the Jumbotron maybe, but like it just. Yeah. It's the, just... the way that they made it, especially with the gradient numbers and just the. I just wish they stayed with like the navy blue maybe because I feel like that would have been a little bit cooler. But just I just don't know how they're going to look, to yeah. be honest. They're not going to look super great. I. I don't know. On a grade scale, uh, give this. I, there's there's parts of it that I like. I do like the all blue one. I don't like it a whole lot, but that's my favorite out of the three. I'd give it like a C minus D plus. Okay, that's fair. I was probably gonna give it around that same. I mean, I I do like the 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 new um the helmet that they made it that kind of that same blue color with the the dynamic yellow. I yeah, think that's kind that's... of a cool idea. It's got a weird chrome encompass it, but I mean, other than that, it looks all right. Yeah, it it is, it is kind of a chrome look, but it's. I think that the home the home uniforms, you would give those like a grade higher. You'd give like a C plus or something because that honestly doesn't look terrible. Obviously, besides the tag, yeah. I mean, obviously we've discussed our displeasures, but the away uniform to me is like a D minus. That thing just does not look good. They they tried, but no, it just didn't look good. But overall, I think that this uniform scheme might be the worst that we've seen come out as a, as a whole. I mean, the Falcons ones were kind of interesting. Which honestly, that that gradient uniform is kind of growing on me a little bit. But I would say that them and the Buccaneers are probably going to be the two uh, closest to that lower level, lower grade level that we'd probably be getting. Yeah, but it's it's it, different. That, it's going to be hard for me to look at that. Luckily, the Lions aren't playing too much, so I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, that is true. They'll they'll get to play all the NFC. Not West too, not too, so. not too worried but, about it. But yeah, but speaking of the NFL, we we have this today in time where we are still 
amidst the coronavirus pandemic, and we are trying to figure out when we might get to see these uniforms in action this season in 2020, which we do have the schedules came out. So does this mean, Joe, that we are going to see NFL There's a possibility. I mean, we ta- we saw earlier about, I mean, yesterday, uh, late yesterday, Sports or Sports Illustrated and a couple other places, uh, they had reports that the Arizona governor, Doug Ducey, was allowing sports to continue um, doing basically the same thing as for their like kind of an essential business. Um, and I mean, I'm pretty excited for that. Hopefully that works out because I'd be so down for it. I miss sports so much, but this kind of gives a good, it kind of makes uh, me excited because I, that kind of gives the, maybe not the illusion, but the, uh, the fact that maybe sports will be coming back as planned. This thing is kind of on the down curve and I'm kind of excited for that. But I mean, it's just kind of going to, I feel like it's going to depend on more location of where they're going to be played rather than uh, if the season is going to continue at the start. Because, I mean, there is Arizona that all sports can be played in. I mean, they could play without fans, possibly, and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's just going to come down to, I feel like, the structure rather than the, than the scheduling. Yeah, and the one thing that popped out to me is, like, I mean, Arizona is, is – they're not the – like they're not saying, oh, let's go, let's go do all the sports in Arizona because they're the lowest coronavirus state in the country, which they're not. They're they're actually higher than some of the the states around them. They're at eleven thousand cases right now, uh, which is kind of like that that third tier that they have kind of on scale, third to fourth tier, depending on what what scale you use. But I mean, obviously, I'd be more in favor of them going to these lower states. I mean, if you wanted to really make it like. We want to go where nobody has the virus. And, yeah, you're going to be going to Montana and Wyoming, and I don't think anybody really wants to do that. And plus, they're probably going to have to build there or play in college stadiums, which would be kind of weird. But, I I mean, I am all for having sports, but I'm also all for having it be safe, which is why a lot of people are starting to go – trying to start to accept that if they we do get sports, that it will kind of be a, a no-fans-allowed kind of thing. It's going to be a really – really um stable environment where they're screening people i mean i understand that that might be the route we have to go but yeah i am i am agree joe to get football back i think a lot of people like myself will do whatever it takes just to get it and yeah definitely and i mean also uh kind of looking at the college side with the gliac and other college sports and uh leagues um do you think we're going to be able to see those start up as right as uh basically business as usual you think yeah, and th- this is a really interesting topic because it sounds like um, the, the NCAA is really trying to let everything go by the by the state, which is kind of very interesting. I wonder how that work. I did see a uh, report that um, I believe his name is um, um oh, I for- I forgot his name really quick, but um, the head guy of the NCAA, I believe. Um, his name is Mark Emmert. Thank you. Okay. I just remembered it. Mark Emmert is, he's the head guy at the NCAA. He kind of made the statement where he was starting to have it become more of a state's decision on how they want to perceive this, the coronavirus in order to have got people can compete and stuff, which, and, and I think a lot of people would agree that if we don't have people on campus, 
like a lot of schools are honestly considering for online fall semesters, which thank goodness for us, Joe, Ferris State has officially announced that they are going to face try. They're going to right now go ahead with face to face classes in, a, in an adjusted manner. It's not going to be exactly the same. It's not going to be regular life like last year. There's going to be different things, probably less students in classrooms yeah. taking those measures. That a lot of other schools are starting to do, like Central probably adding, and then, um, probably adding more times for um, classes that people can take and stuff like that. So that way, there's yeah, not as many in yeah, one class. They're gonna have, yeah, they're gonna try to make sure that everybody is in a safe manner with classes. But I mean, I personally, I I was in the motion that really I think a lot of um, um, athletes that I know of they kind of have the same opinion where they want to, they want to have the sports but if we're not going to be on campus to do this it's going to be really not a successful season you could say like obviously if we're training on our own all the time it's not going to turn out the same as if we're in this competitive environment where yeah it kind of makes all this makes all of our training come together when we're all together and we can all like work together we can all go to class together we can all get that chemistry aspect where we're kind of all doing our own workout on our own. And I know personally that we're doing workouts. I think a lot of people at home would also agree that doing a workout, a run, whatever it is, a physical activity is, by yourself is n- not as fun and beneficial as yeah. doing it with somebody else. You're it's, you kind of have that where you're going to be. I only really have this much percent that you kind of feel you only have compared to with somebody that can push you and keep you going forward where it, I bottom line is if the if we ended up having no fall semester and in the classroom and we still had sports, I think that sports are going to be really just going to take an absolute like dive in as far as just the value of play Definitely. and all these sort of things, especially the team. Yeah, sports because like I mean, when you look at it, it comes down to like kind of like like you said with the campus. I mean, you hear. When uh, when there's a game, there's people talking about it all day. Like they're, I mean, people are excited. It's game day. Like when people aren't tailgating, it's kind of a different. It doesn't feel the same, you know. I mean, especially when we had the Anchorbone Classic with Grand Valley and uh, Ferris when we were on Fox Sports Detroit. I mean, that experience was awesome. Yeah. I mean, you were hanging out with friends. You could go yeah. to like the Fox Sports Detroit booth. I mean, they had burgers and broths cooking up for the fans there kind of like different games and fan experiences for you to have. And it was probably one of the most fun I've ever had at a, at a tailgate uh, probably ever. And I mean, when you look at it, when you go to football, I mean, and there's no fans in the stadium when there's no tailgating before, I, I feel like it's really going to take away the fact or take away the, I guess you could say the atmosphere for the players, seeing all these people outside and ready to support you um, when they're not there, it's going to kind of take away that aspect that kind of gets some, some guys ready to play and ready to go. Yeah, and that's a great point because, I mean, there's a lot of sports that really a lot, especially like we're ta- you're talking about football, and I did, in fact, miss the anchor bone last year, and that was the one game that I really, really wish I would have got to rather than any of the other playoff games. I would have definitely rather went to anchor bone. But the fact is, is a lot of these sports are going to get their revenue from having fans, especially like football and basketball, where a lot of it's relied on admission and concessions and all of these different things that help bring in money as not just for the program, but for the university itself, like athletics could be take whatever school it is. If you don't have 
fans, then you're going to have to realize that your revenue is going to be really, really fixed. It's not going to be stable. It's not going to be like you like you've always had where you're going to have these events that are going to bring you money and all this stuff, which if they're going to have to try to go virtual, which it, I, I mean, Joe, that doesn't sound like something that a lot no, of definitely. universities are going to want to try is do like virtual. I mean, obviously if they want to po- put things on TV for fans to watch, if these, these events go and sports go to these non-fan environments and if they want to put them on TV, I think that's a good idea. At least let people watch the sport without having to be there if that's the, the precaution that's needed to be necessary for them to actually have the the games and the events and matches and all these sort of sports but they they just really i think the ncaa is really trying to really truly figure out where this virus is going so they can take the precautions necessary to, to do the best thing for not just all of the not just all of the the, the universities and all of the all of the events they have, but also for the student athletes themselves. I mean, I, I know that they're looking out for them. They're trying to make everything better as much as they can and do everything the best way that they know how. So, and I do, I will do say, one no, you're thing. Good. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going on a ramble here, Joe, but they do. I do not. I hope they do not cancel fall sports this early. There's so much that can happen in three months that I, there's a, Absolutely. There's so much time for this to be really judged thoroughly because I, I like to say um, I have this kind of quote that um, I kind of have like I kind of live by is like every day can be or every day yeah. can be different than tomorrow. Every, and like tomorrow can be a better day. That's one thing that I'm kind of worried about is that they're going to that officials are going to be way too brash and too harsh and they're going to cancel it before that like at the slightest sign of something big happening without letting it play out and see if it'll work out and stuff like that. But I mean, it's, I'm just really hoping that sports come back. And I mean, it's like you said, it's going to, with the NCAA kind of trying to leave it up to the States, it's going to be weird because some States are going to be able to play and some States are going to probably just not allow anybody to play. And the teams are going to have to forfeit their seasons. And it's going to really throw a kind of a, a, a wrench into all this uh, already into this kind of stressful time. And it's going to kind of leave a lot of confusion. And when they're when when you kind of leave it up to single people, not everyone's going to maybe come to a solution. And I'm kind of worried about whether, you know, some states are going to be down for it. Some people are going to be able to play and others aren't. And then it's just going to kind of leave a kind of a crapshoot for for the season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And them doing it state by state is obviously going to cause those sort of um those parts where some states are going to play and some states are not, which I think might not be the answer because obviously that's going to bring turmoil towards yeah. NCAA for allowing this. And everyone's going to get mad that they can't play, even though some others can play, which I mean, I'm kind of all for the, like the NFL I, or not the NFL, the MLB's kind of standpoint where they thought about maybe bringing the sports back to Florida and Arizona kind of spring training style, which we've kind of seen that they're trying to start new, or a new way to do the season. Uh, I believe there was a, a proposal that came out that was an 82-game season, a universal DH that they were going to play in only home state stadiums where that's kind of more they're going to try to really – they're still going to travel, but they're really going to try to condense everything into one place so that if in case something were to happen, they know exactly where it's going to be and who kind of has it so they can really um, – 
they can really crack down on making everything safe in that environment. And it, it'll just be really interesting. I mean, obviously, we're not the coronavirus experts. If you want a coronavirus expert, go talk or go listen to Dr. Fauci. He's kind of the guy that's going to tell you everything you need to know about the coronavirus. But there is one thing that he said that kind of stuck out to me is that that we really can't judge what this virus is going to do but we can't be we can't just absolutely put all of our hope into that we are going to reopen once the first wave is over because there could be a second wave and that's the scary part is we might see another big outbreak again because that's kind of just how viruses work where they can there's a first wave and then there's a second wave and the second wave can obviously be initiated by people yeah. going to all these places now that everything's opened back up. They might have it even though they have not, even though they've sat through the three weeks that we've had or three months that we've had where we have been quarantined. That once you release some of these people that haven't been tested. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's a lot of wrong. things that might go wrong and stuff like that. But I mean, it's just going to come down to, you know, the discretion of the NCAA and the discretion of different companies and organizations, but whether they're going to be able to kind of slowly gradually reopen if they're going to go full force um but you know um, time will tell uh if we're going to be able to get sports back soon if we're going to have to sit through it's really going to suck if we have to sit through it but i mean if i need if need be i'm going to have to just watch all the reruns on espn and espn plus of just like classic classic (laughs) college basketball classic college baseball stuff like that but i mean hey at least we got golf courses open that's all i'm gonna say that is true. Joe, you do like your golf. So I'm happy I, about I'm that. But I have no money to play, that. so I mean, got to get a job. But, but. <laughs> yeah, That is true. But that is going to do it for this episode of the MBSP. Thank you guys for joining us. As always, follow us on Twitter for all the latest news, including our potential collab show that you guys are going to want to stay tuned for. There's going to be a lot, a lot to talk about especially if these sports may reopen. We'll obviously Very have exciting. stuff to talk about, but it should be a good time. So follow us there. Stay tuned for our, our the Last Dance Reaction Show. There will be more details on that later this week as we get everything finalized. But, Joe, until then, we're going to we're gonna have to yeah, definitely. Also, going on well. just real quick before we take off, we just want to say a big thank you. We're almost to a total of 300 listens. Um, on our podcast, we thank you guys so much yes. for listening. Oh, we really appreciate you guys, every one of you guys who has tuned into the podcast. Um, we greatly appreciate it. We're going to try to keep keep up the good content for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, and you guys, you guys, the listeners, this is what we do this for. We love putting out this stuff for you guys to talk about, listen to, and just give you guys the content, especially that you guys love listening to it. So we appreciate all of you. As on behalf of Joe and I, of course, we appreciate you guys so much. And until next time, we will see you later. Brandon, Joe, can't wait for next week, man. Good, buddy. All right, man. Well, yep. thank you guys for listening, and we will see you later.